Bokatov, today's daf is Tetvav. Today, everybody, today's daf is Tetvav. We pick up on, um, uh, we pick up on Yadal Ramad Bet at the bottom. We're going through the process of ring of the Mincha of the Sota. Um, and I don't know if everybody read the email that, uh, Govulia sent out last night, but I was right. It's, 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 it's Geresh, not Geresh, by the way. Meteor Sot. So thank you, uh, for Sam for sending that out. Anyway, you know what they say? Last time I thought, last time I thought I was, I, I was wrong. I was mistaken. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> Alright, so, um, <laughs> anyway, we pick up here, um, at uh, two lines from the bottom, um, Laket et Levonta, the Nosnal Gabav, two lines from the last line on Yadam Bet. So this is the actual, the uh, normal process of bringing a Mincha. We quoted a bright about that before we circle back to talking about the bringing of the Mincha of the Sota. So gathers up the, now that he's put the comets, the hand breath of the Mincha in a separate klisharate, in a separate vessel, holy vessel, he now, the Kohen, gathers the frankincense and he, from the Mincha and transfers it from the original Mincha vessel where the Mincha is to the vessel where uh, the comet is, which he's going to offer up on the Mizpeach. And the Levona, which is on the Mincha, he offers up on the altar, so now he trans- so he gathers that, excuse me, and, um, and that becomes now part of what is going to be offered. And he brings it up to the, uh, to the top of the altar and he offers it up from the Holy Vessel. Um, um, what is he offering it up in the Klisharet so it sounds like the Gemara's question is um, that he's throwing Klisharet into the fire but Rashi actually says um, has a different gear so Rashi says like how at this stage is it saying he offered it up if the next line is that he salts it so he hasn't offered it up yet <laughs> he's bringing it up in the Klisharet to offer it up which A says that he's not offering up the Klisharet and B also says he hasn't burnt it he hasn't burnt it up yet. He first has to salt it, which is the next line. Umocha, welcome back, though. And he salts it. Yushim, then puts it on the fire. Thank you. And all of you know, the, all of your mincha korbanot you shall salt. And salt is on all the korbanot. And then kari v'komitshiyarehalim, because it was a brayta that was quoted that described the order of bringing the mincha, which was in order to clarify, or anyway, it's just helpful background if we're talking about the of the Mincha Vesota, number one, it's helpful background. So, I understand, well, no, but not everything is straight in the Psukim. The stuff that's straight in the Psukim, it doesn't elaborate on. The stuff that isn't, it elaborates on. Okay? It's not a Raya. Yesterday, we started with the fact that the Mishnah said that a normal Mincha starts in a Klisha rate. Mm-hmm. And we said it's not true. A normal Mincha doesn't start in a Klisha rate. Look at this bright that describes how a Mincha is brought, and it says that you start by bringing it from vessels from the home, and you don't start in a Klisha rate. And therefore, that led to the modification fine a normal mincha doesn't start in a cliche rate it starts in a vessel fit for a cliche rate mm-hmm. but in that context we quoted a whole mishnah actually, or right actually that gives the entire seder of bringing a mincha so now we're just right. finishing elaborating that right which is helpful which is uh, we, we spend a lot of time on a lot of things anyway here it actually is helpful to provide a background if we're going to spend time about bringing of the mincha of the let's have some background about how a normal mincha is brought could you repeat that no if the, once the hand breath is brought up then the remnants can be eaten by the Kohanim. It's like after this, the blood is uh, thrown, you know, the Kohanim eat the meat. Uh, here, a mincha is kot, it's kotche kotchim. It's only eaten in the Azarah by the Kohanim. Minalan, where do you know this? You shall bring up, you, the Kohen shall 
offer up the see the, the remembrance, the thing that causes it to be remembered by God, the uh, the comets, the ksiv, and says and the remnant is for Aaron and his sons. Now, um, now the Gemara says Karif Akomet the Markisay the Markisay Islay. Now, with the comets being brought, when is it considered to have been brought? That's a debate of Tanaim exactly the stage when it's considered to have been like uh, burnt up, when it's considered to have been hukrav, like offered, you know, and accepted as a korban, like the act is done. When is that? So let's take a look. When does the canned breath make the remnant, the remainder of the mincha, permissible to be eaten? Once the fire is like has dominance over it, like once it's caught fire. That once the uh, fire has actually caught hold to the uh, majority of it. So, uh, which seems to be actually be, actually it's an interesting question. I was actually assuming that, you know, it, uh, that this is, I think this is a further stage that it actually has to not just like have, you know, have caught on fire, but actually taken hold of the majority of it. Okay. And then continuing in the brighter, the Kohanim can mix into it wine and oil and honey and they can put anything into it as long as they don't let it become chametz. So the Gemara says, my timer, what's the reason? It says that it should be for you for a, literally for an anointing, but it means like for a, for something of status, ligdullah. For something for, for it, you should treat it like it's a way of affording status the way you eat it. You can eat it in a uh, you know in a way that's uh, that's a that's a that's a respectable way, a refined way, a way that shows you know a, a, a person of I'm saying the word status again. Anyway, that's a, a king would eat exactly. So therefore, you can eat it. You can eat it. And you don't have to eat it because you could have thought, look, it's a, you know it's a korban. Therefore, you know you shouldn't mix with it things that are not korban like. It's not respect for the korban to be putting on things you know other food stuff you know maybe you're like you know you're taking away from the midst of eating a korban you're making it just like a meal and you're making it a fancy meal you have to maybe you would think maybe you have to focus on the thing itself so no you're actually allowed to eat it in a way that, that is a respectable way that makes it tasty that makes it uh, you know uh, like he would eat that's acceptable just don't make it into chametz um, okay now um, which raises an interesting question right because how much of these can you actually make chametz if they've already been baked now so, um, is it possible to actually make it chametz once it's been baked? Which is a whole interesting discussion. When next time we learn menachos, we can talk about it. Okay, the einas turinel mil chametz, and it's only forbidden to make it chametz. Yichsiv lo teafeh chametz. Do not make it chametz. And the end of the pasuk is chalkam natati lucham meishai. Their portion I have given to them from my fire off from my fires. But the drasha is lo teafeh chametz chalkam. Do not make even their portion into chametz. Not only the minchas when it begins, don't let it become chametz. But even after it's been offered and you're only left with the remnant, that remnant cannot be chametz. Even the, their portion cannot be allowed to become chametz. Again, again, harder to understand exactly how that's possible. Um, I mean, there's one mincha which isn't baked, which is just you know. Um, but um, um, and then the question to that mincha that isn't baked is then how does it not become chametz anyway if it's just a mixture? And then the ones that you know. But of course, if it doesn't have water, if it just has oil, so okay. But the ones that are baked, how could it become chametz after it's already been baked? Anyway, so these are all interesting questions. When you learn menachos, there's like a whole parak devoted to the issue of uh, chametz for mincha. Yes. No, just a, a, a quick visual. So we say baked, but really this is like a lafa on coals, directly on coals, correct? On the altar. It's not what we would call baked inside of enclosed. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. I, I shouldn't have said baked. I mean, it's 
maybe cooked or whatever. I mean, there are different ones. There's the mincha machavat and the mincha smircheshet. But that's right. It's more. It's it's more like you're right. It's more like it's been bit on a fire. Like it's not been baked in an oven. What? There is a mincha bafeitanur. That is true. You know. Anyway. That's why is so long. Yeah. Okay. So all right. Now. Now, uh, we, we, now Michael's going to be happy because we're done with this Brighta, which is more belongs to Menachot, but to gave us general background. And now we turn back to the Minchav Asota. And it says, all of the Menachot um, have oil and, uh, and frankincense, with the exception of the Mincha of a, um, of a Sota. And again, because to just show how, you know, lowly it is, and this is brought for a sin, and the other types of things that the Gemara says. So the Gemara here asks, the call of Menachot to not Yemen? What? Is that really true? That all Menachot need oil? Will the and frankincense, How about the mincha of a sinner at the uh, at the end of Parshat uh, Vayikra? Not Sefer Vayikra. There's a series of korbanot which are called Olev Yered, which means a variable. Uh, you know, goes up and down based on a sliding scale based on what a person can afford. Um, a handful of sins that you bring this type of a chatat for, and at the end, the bottom of that sliding scale, if you're very poor, you just have to bring a mincha, and that's called a minchat chote. So there actually is a normal sin for a, a normal chatat offering is, uh, is an animal. Okay? But is a, uh, but for this particular sin, you're allowed to bring, series of sins, you're allowed to bring, depending if you're, if you're of a lower economic level, uh, sort of status, you're allowed to bring um, a mincha as the, as the sin offering, and that is called a minchat chotei. And the Gemara says that also, and this is so, it's not really different from any mincha of a sin. And this is also seen as a type of a mincha of a sin, although here the sin is suspected, not known, but it's seen as any type of a mincha of a sin. So what makes this special? Haika mincha Actually, the pasuk is quite explicit, right? Am I quoting the Sota one? Okay. So what's the pasuk here? By uh, that's true. It's the same type of verse. But what is the pasuk here? You want to get a? Shall I go to have to look up? Kichatati. Thank you. Okay. Because it is a sin offering. So anyway, very similar verse. So anyway, so it's no different than a normal minchas chotei. So the Gemara says hachitame. No, no, no. Okay, you're right. It's not like it's the only one that doesn't have Shemin and Levona. But what it is, is it is the only one that has all of the disabilities, if you would. All of the things that make it a less, sort of, you know, status type, a less significant type of a mincha. And here's what it says. Here's how to read the Mishnah. All menachot have oil, have, you know, oil and frankincense, ubot minachitin, and come from wheat flour, ubot solat, and come from refined flour. And what it really means is, all of the menachot have at least one of these, you know, positive qualities that make it nicer. Some have, some have all, some have only one, but all of them have at least one of these qualities. Minchas chote, the mincha of a sinner, although it doesn't have oil and frankincense, minachitin ubot solat, it comes from refined wheat flour. It's true, it's not wheat, it's barley, but right, okay, so it comes from oil and frankincense, and it's refined barley flour. So actually, all the other, even the exceptions, have two out of the three qualities. The Zoe and this doesn't have 
any of those three of the three qualities, doesn't have oil and frankincense, uba and comes from barley, uba kemach and comes from bran and not from refined flour. Okay, so it is true there are some things it's not true that any of one of these as it were negative things it doesn't exist by another mincha, but other minchas at least don't have all three. At most they have uh, they, 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 they have only one of these negative qualities. This has all three of these like lo- lower qualities. Yes. And despite the fact that it's an awful mincha, yes. the still have to eat it. Besides the fact, yes, that's uh, <laughs> true. Okay. So the Koenim are getting penalized. Yeah, well, maybe. Food. Just mix it with a lot of oil. And just oil, just right. mix it with a lot of oil and uh, whatever, exactly. And, and, and a honey, etc. Okay. Bread. Ezekiel bread. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. So, uh, okay. Ram, by the way, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to solace. Kemach means uh, doesn't mean only the bran. It means like holy, actually holy, psychu, holy. I mean with the bran, with the bran. Okay, right, with the bran. Okay, um, all right. Tanya, um, right. I'm Rabbi Shimon. Now this is very interesting. Really, the Torah should have demanded that a mincha of a sinner, not a, of, a, of a sota, a normal mincha of a sinner, should have had oil and frankincense. Why? Why does he get off easy? That he doesn't have to do the extra expense of the, of the shemin and levona. Of course, it's funny, he also gets to bring a mincha rather than a more significant one. But, okay, within the context that this is what he could afford and he's bringing a mincha, it should have had the demands of a standard mincha. Why does he get off Easy, but El Why does it not demand it? Um, that it should not be beautiful, and that's more important. The symbolic significance of what he's being brought, and the fact that we're imposing on him a greater financial demand. Um, and in principle, then a similar argument, a sin offering of fat. Now, why is it called a sin offering of fat? Because what it means is a standard chatos. A standard chatos is brought for a sin that is chayv kares, and a sort of classic example of a sin would be forbid, eating forbidden foods, except it's funny, all the things that we normally think of in terms of forbidden foods, most of them are not chayv kares. Okay, basar b'cholov is not chayv kares, chazir is not chayv kares. The basically forbidden Foods that are high of chares are chelev, dam, and chametz and pesach. Nevelas in high chares. Okay, so a sin. No, yeah, but that's like a kudshim type of thing. Gita nosar is not. Okay, so anyway, so with the standard way the Gemara refers to a standard sin offering is a chatas chelev. Um, so anyway, uh, okay, uh, where were we? Um, and Rashi actually points out in this Rashi that it's not just a classic example, but actually it's a juxtaposition of the psukim. Because if you take a look at Rashi, Chatas Chelev, he says, Ko Chatas Tam Kari Chatas Chelev, the Basar Chelev, Dixiv, Ko Chelev, Chodam, Lo Sochelu, Dixiv, Basrei, Parshas Chatas, that the Parsha of the Chatas actually is written juxt- now, juxtaposed to the Chelev issue. Now, that's it, not because the focus of the Parshas Chatas is about eating Chelev. That place where it says, Ko Chelev, Chodam, Lo Sochelu, is where it's talking about the fact that Chelev and Dam go on the Mizbeach, and it's in the middle of the discussion of Korbanot. It's not in the middle of the discussion of Macholot Asurot. But nevertheless, Right juxtaposed to that, near that comes the discussion in the Torah of achatas. Okay, but it means a standard chatas. Okay, and really logically speaking, um, or would have it would have made sense, you know, would have uh, made sense to say, uh, where were we? Um, 
Chatas Chaylev to Una Nesachim that also Chatas Chaylev should have had the oil uh, the, um, the uh, what do you call it the uh, the the the, um, the libation sacrifices that come together with an animal sacrifice. You know, it would be like we read every uh, you know when we say Musaf, right? We say you know we always after reading the Korban we say uh, you know we read what the Nesachim would be so much wine and then so much oil and so much flour etc. So. Um, um, so it says it, made, it would have made sense that it would have required Nisachim. Um but why not? Where are we? Why does it not? So the sinner should not merit. So uh, I'm sorry. I skipped. I'm sorry. So the sinner should not merit. How come he gets off of being nisachim? Why does it not require? That it should not be beautiful. Now, until this point, he's just giving a little time of decraw. He's not saying any halacha. Right? Why is it that this doesn't happen? I mean, why does the guy get off? Right? So the answer is because the symbolic sort of, you know, uh, the symbolism is more significant than whether he's spending more money or not spending more money. But now, the Gemara does an interesting thing. Okay? Or maybe he's doing an interesting thing. Um, and let's keep on reading. Um, this seems to be still part of the same statement of Rav Shimon. The Chatas and the Asham of a Mitzora um, that does bring Nisachim. That's not coming for a sin. That is actually, um, you know, it's coming for a purification process. It's not coming for the purpose of a sin. And therefore, it gets Nisachim. Now, this is interesting because is this descriptive or is he actually learning out from his time of the cross? You know what I mean? Right? Is he, you know, is he sort of saying, I figured out that the reason for the difference is about whether it's based on a sin or not. In principle, even chathosus should demand it. Right? Every Corban in principle should demand it, but there's a question of the symbolism. So if you were to find me a chathos that was not about sin, then logically that actually should, um, you know, sh- uh, should have nisachim, and lo and behold, so therefore that's what, so is he saying that's what we'll say by the chathos and asham of a mitzorah? Like, we're not learning it from any pasuk. I'm just well, going to, meaning, is he doing this based on time of the cross? Right? Is he, is, you know, is he doing it based on time of the Quran? He's just figuring out that that should be the halacha because that makes sense? Or is he describing it? No, we start knowing that a chatas and an asham of a mitzvah bring this achim, and now I'm going to explain you the reason why. So, um, so if you actually take a look at, uh, I think Rashi says, hold on. Look at Rashi. Chatasov Hashem Oshem Metzora. Rashi says Israbu Behedya Linasachim BeMesechus Misanol Perk Shtei So actually, the Gemara actually has a special drasha to learn it out. So according to Rashi, we start by knowing that it brings Nesachim, and what he's doing is he's just describing why that is. Right? You understand it's a significant question here. You say, Oh, look, I'm going to understand what this is all based on, and based on my time at the Quran, I'm going to figure out what the halacha is going to be by this other case that we don't know what the halacha is yet. Right? That's a little bit sounds like it, but no, what Rashi is saying is this is really descriptive. It's not like, it's not, you know, he's not inferring this, he's describing why this is an exception based on this reason that he is giving. Um, okay, so that's, what he, that's, so that's what he's saying. So, so he's really just explaining to you, here's why something's unisachim and not because of this reason. But let's see where the Gemara continues. Um, um, so the Gemara says like this, Amy, um, is this really true? One minute? Plagues come for, you know, leprosy, saras comes for seven sins. So therefore, it is based on sin. So your explanation doesn't make sense. The Gemara says, no. Hasem minigae, hu di ichper. 
So there, the, 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 the nega, the tzarat, that is atoning for whatever the sin was. Who the korban. The korban is an atoning for the sin. The nega was the punishment for the sin. The korban is just the That's just part of a tara process, right? That's not to atone for sin. Okay, so Gemara says, Elameata, if that's true, Chatas Nazir Teitun in Isachim, how about the sin offering of a Nazir? Okay, Lufishina Balachet, that's not for a sin, okay, and that depends, right? But basically you're telling me that now any Chatas, now here the Gemara makes it clear life, again, the question is, is that is Gemara really saying, let this be the Halacha? Like, is it really thinking, we'll use your homiletic type of explanation to actually say, well then let's say that, let's make the halacha based on that, right? Is it really thinking that, again, is the question is, is it sort of working with a Tarshina time of the Kra? We can take your nice explanation and actually then determine what the halacha will be. Or is it saying, no, 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 we know what the halacha is. There's no question that a chatas of a nazir does not get nisachim. Okay, we're not saying that we should actually use your idea to change the halacha. We're challenging your idea based on the halacha. Okay, how can you give this as the explanation? It doesn't fit the data. Okay, we actually know that a chatas of a nazir does not get nisachim, so goodbye to your explanation. Yeah, I think right? Franco gave terms to that, like a midrash yoser. Aha. Uh-huh. Like there's like right. like different types, the function of different types of midrash. Right, right. So I think that that's the question because I think, if I'm remembering correctly, it's Rabbi Shimon who's darshin in time of the Quran, right? Yes. I'll ask, uh, yes, yes, it is. Right. It's Rabbi Shimon who's darshin in time of the Quran. This is Rabbi Right, it's right, right. And this is, right, it's Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yehuda. And Rabbi Shimon says darshin in time of the Quran. And this is Rabbi Shimon. So, actually, Rabbi Shimon comes from a position that, in theory, he might be prepared to actually determine halacha based on his drasha. So, again, the interesting question is, is the Gemara here really trying to determine whether certain things should or should not get nesachim based on this? Or does it already know what the data is and is just challenging his explanation because it doesn't fit the data? Okay? So, that seems to be more, it seems to be more the second. But the first one is not, is not necessarily ruled, to be categorically ruled out. So, the Gemara says, according to your logic, why does the Chatzas of a Nazir not have Nisachim? It should have Nisachim, and we know that it doesn't. But says, no! He holds like Rebbe Yezer Kavar that a Nazir is a sinner, so therefore the Nazir is consistent with his logic. Anything that's about Chet doesn't have Nisachim, and even the Nazir doesn't have Nisachim, the data is consistent with his explanation, if we explain that a Nazir is also based on a sin. Okay, and then there's a long process that tries to figure out, because there are different Gemarot that talk about this idea that Nazir is a sinner and some Gemarot seem to say only Nazir Tamei is a Chotei mm-hmm. even according to Rebeliezer HaKafar and other Gemarot seem to say even because you know he let, he let himself become Tamei because when he has to it stretches on he regrets having accepted the Nazirut but Nazir Tahor maybe isn't a sinner and there are other Gemarot that think that even Nazir Tahor according to this approach is a sinner just because he denied himself the pleasure of wine even if it's a normal Nazirut even if he doesn't regret it there's an element of sin and Tosu says this Gemara seems to say even in Nazir Tahor mm-hmm. because uh, the only Nazir that brings a animal Chatat which is one that in theory could have Nisachim is the Nazir Tahor not the Nazir Tameh so that the long tells us trying to figure out whether this approach applies only to a Nazir Tameh or, only to a Nazir, or even to a Nazir Tahor my, yes. my, my impression of the phrase Shelo uh, yes as a halachic principle in other contexts is that correct? yes that is correct yeah, we do apply it in a number. Right. Exactly. And here he's saying in theory that should have been applicable here, but there are more important things that override. Yes. How about a woman who's given birth? 
Right. So the question is, is that there too, in all of these explanations, right, logically we know, and a point that I've made a lot, is that the simple sense of a chatas is really not even primarily about sin, but it's really about, um, really about like uh, purification, you know, cleansing. Sometimes the cleansing is a cleansing from sin, but the chatas is often, is connect, you know, is often, when you have a chatas for a yoledes, right, you know, a chatas, you know, for, you know, you know, for, for, for all these types of different people that are purifying themselves, is that really for a sin or is that really just purification? So the Gemara sometimes tries to make it about sin. Right? Well, the Oledes, when she's giving birth, she swears she's never going to have sex with her husband again, etc. So the Gemara could have asked those questions as well. Right? I'm actually just looking up here the Rambam. If there, hold on one minute. What? Right. Zavon is Zavon too. Exactly. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> okay. So the Rambam says, And by the way, look at Tosfos. Tosfos says, there's a more basic reason. Forget this symbolism of chait. Okay, there's a general principle, although it's not a tamei hamikra, it's just a law. The rule is, the only thing that has nesachim is a korban that's Britain that's free will, not obligatory. And the only exception is the chatas and the ashram of the mitzora. See, so, it's a yantif and the Shabbos, I thought you bring this nesachim as a free will, I think. Um, yeah, but it's an ol and it's a shlamim, so it's, right, I'm sorry, it could be obligatory, but the category of korban that can Okay, you're right. I was not being clear. No, An ol and a shlamim are categories that can come in Erev So even when they're obligatory, like a musaf, they have nisachim. A chatos that's always only obligatory, never by free will, doesn't have nisachim. The only exception being the chatos and the asham of a mitzora. So that's the real rule. Meaning the real rule is no chatos and asham never. There's one exception. But Rabbi Shimon says that's just a rule. It's not an explanation, and it doesn't explain why asham is an, is an why Mitzvah is an exception. So I'm going to give you an explanation. It's about sin, and sin isn't appropriate, and sin isn't relevant by the Mitzvah. Okay, but there's another way to frame it, which is, forget all this time at the cross. It's a simple rule. Don't get this. Okay, but then again, you, there is this exception of Mitzvah. Okay, so, um, and if the Rambam says, Okay, so actually it's unfortunately the Pesukim. Okay, <laughs> um, uh, da, da, da. anyway, so that's what the Rambam says. Um, so, so is it unfortunately the Pesukim? Are you looking for the Mitzora? What does it say? By the Mitzora? Yeah, but isn't anything about the rest of the Mitzachim? So you know, that was wondering what the, what the question was. All right. Anyway, fine. But anyway, the Kitzer. So there seems to be no question of the data, and there's just a question about like excusing is this a legitimate explanation we're not trying to determine what the halacha is we know what the halacha is is this a legitimate explanation of that and if he was challenged with the Yoletis he probably would say that's also hate based mm-hmm. or something ok let's continue in the Gemara Tanya so Reb Gamliel gives the reason of Machal Behema 
So why is he giving a different? Why? Why? What? You know? Why is he giving a different reason? What would the Chachamim's reason be about the Seorim? So if you might remember, there's an early explanation that said the Seorim was because of she made her lover eat all of these delicacies, so she's being fed this lowly food. So Amalei and Rebbe Gamliel the Chachamim. So Gamliel said to the sages, um, Sofrim. Uh, which is like scribes. Interesting, he's referring to them like that. Mm-hmm. Leave me alone. Let me give a drasha. Let me explain to you. It's interesting. You wonder, like, what's the dynamic that he's referring to them as so freem? And he's saying, Hinichuli. So maybe one wonders, right? Like, that whole phrase of who's identified as the so freem, one wonders if, like, maybe the idea is Rabbi Gamliel's fundamental role is, like, as a Tana, right? He's the one that deals with, like, the area of, like, halacha, you know? But he's, and maybe there's others that, like, specialize more in giving, like, you know, drash. Like, you know, giving the symbolism. And maybe, again, that's a category, a, a group that's identified as so free. And he's saying, you know what? Let, let, I, let me say the drasha here. Like, that's a nice explanation, but I have a, dub, a different thing. But it sort of reminds you about a, um, a case where, like, they say to Rabbi Akiva, you know, I forget who it is that says to him, but it says, Akiva, 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 you know, your, your specialty is like the hardest areas of Allah. Let us do the Agadah. We know the Rebbe, it wasn't Rebbe. I don't think so. Anyway, but anyway, but here you get a similar type of a dynamic. Look, I know this isn't my specialty, but I want to say my approach here. One minute. Now, what does Kimin Chomer mean? Rashi says, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, button, Balaz, I think. Like a nice, like a, like a nice beautiful clasp, like something gold and beautiful. I'll give a beautiful explanation. Tosa says it might mean a pearl or a jewel. Anyway, Kimin Chomer is a phrase which somehow means I'll explain it in a beautiful Beautiful way. Okay, why? To Shami Rebbe Mayer, he heard Rebbe Mayer, now it seems that the Sofri might be Rebbe Mayer, to Kamar Olam, she fed him the delicacies, the therefore she eats the eating of animals. Amalei, he said back, that's nice that she was a rich woman, that she fed her lover delicacies. And Niyamai, let's say she was a poor woman. Ella, so your explanation doesn't fit that all cases. Kashin, but mine fits all cases. Kashin, what she said her lover her actions were fit for an animal she's following after her lusts and desires and so on so her food is that like an animal again of course completely like de- de- right, dehumanizing her and assuming her guilt which is what we've been pointing out all along Charlie what do you want to say uh, Robin Gamliel could at times be dictatorial that's true. But I'm not sure that he equally is that strong-armed. Okay, let's take a look at the next Mishnah. So she brought a... So now the um, Kohen, so there she is. Uh, we spoke about the bringing of the Mincha. Okay, did it say that the um, Mincha was brought? Uh, what did it say? No, it didn't just say that it was brought yet. It just described the mincha. It described the mincha. Okay, it did not. Right, but but no, but you start bringing it. But maybe anyway. So it's all going to be. We're going to go back. Yeah. After we see this, we'll go back to the point Tosus makes about what is the sequence here and how does it or does it not match up to the sequence in the Torah. But let's acknowledge that says the mincha is brought to the base of Mikdash, but it has not yet been offered on the mispeach. Okay, and now it act- and this actually is consistent with the Torah because by the way, you know the Torah actually has the bringing of the mincha the offering up of it after, the after the no the mime is before the mincha right, but then it says again after the no. in the Torah it is the Torah has the power I said that um, 
Right, the Kasavas Halota Eleha Kohen Basefu Macha Omeha Marim, Vishkat Rishat Mea Marim Hame Arim, Uval Vahamaim Hamarim Lamarim, Vilakaha Kohen, Yarisha, Minhasa Knoz, Viniva the Minralis, Nashem, Mikrivo Salmis Beah, the Kamatsa Kohen in Minhasa Karsavi Tamis Beha, Vahar Yashati Shatamayim. So it's very like, it can write, so Vishatamayim by saying Nitma. So it's confusing. Like it says, he writes it and he makes you drink it and he takes the Mincha and then he makes you drink the water. So, is it, so why did it say before that he made her drink the water? Was it before saying he's erasing it for the purpose of making her drink the water? Anyway, it's confusing in the Pesukim, which is why there's a debate in the Gemara whether the Mincha is brought before or after the drinking of the water. Because it's pretty ambiguous in the Pesukim themselves. Okay, so right now we have the Mincha being brought, being brought to the base of Mikdash, but we don't yet have having yet been offered up on the Mizbeach, and now we're going to describe the drinking of the water. Okay? maybe Shivi Shocheres, he would brought some type of a pottery vessel um, this is a vial vial okay okay alright okay the nose of the he would put a half of a log which would be like where we normally drink a revius as a minimum size of like kiddush or whatever it's like three ounces so half of a log every, that's a revius of a log half a log is double that like six and a half seven ounces the size of a normal like cup you know like a six ounce cup not a tum, like a normal plastic cup is six ounces okay there you go the nose of the from the uh, laver, from the uh, you know the uh, thing that they had in the uh, base of Mikdash, where they would pump the water from. Reb it would only be a revius of water. We're going to see later that Reb is going to say that you wrote less on the scroll. So if you have less that you're writing, that you're scraping, you have less water. Okay, now nichnas lehechal. The going gadol would now like minimum sure. Right, the going gadol would go into the hechal, right, which is the uh, inner sanctum, which is you know where the shochan and the menorah. Um, um, he would turn, because it speaks about from the karka of the Mishkan, right? So, you know, so that's, you know, so then the Oamoed, and that's which, like which the Heichal. Dust. Dust, or dirt. It was on a dirt ground. So let's see what he would do. He would turn to his right. There would be a little place on the floor of the Heichal. A cubit by a cubit. And there would be basically like a, uh, a, a marble square covering up the ground, right? It's the floor. It's a tile. It's a floor. Latin word. What? What's Latin? Tavla. 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 Yeah. Tavla. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there would be an, and there would be a and there and there would be a ring like an iron ring connected to the uh, you know to this uh, tap to this uh, uh, marble square marble t- tile so you could pick up the tile. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you didn't trip over that that, that that thing. Maybe it was way in the corner. Anyway, Kushumagbia. What? Oh, that's interesting. A recess. Oh, oh, so I see. That's interesting. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Because we're going to learn it from the... It says, I show you up as the assumption of Mishkan is, I mean, is the, is the OMOA, but we'll talk about that. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Then he lifts it up, okay. Then he lifts it up, by the way. Okay. And he, so he lifts it up and then he takes takes dirt from underneath the tile. And, and he puts it into the water. Enough dirt that it appears on the water like it floats to the top and is visible on the water. And you put it to the water. Okay. So now it's like this. Um, uh, Gemara. Tana. 
It had to be a new pottery uh, vessel. My time is Rabbi Shmuel. What's his reasoning? He learns that Kli from the Mitzorah. The same way a Mitzorah, it's a new pottery. So, now there it says, and here it says, so you put the water on Kli So therefore, it's just like that. Now, how do we know there it has to be new? How do you know it has to be new over there? So what? So what does I tell you? If it's living water, it means it's never been used. It's straight from the ground. So it has to be a vessel that's never been used. That's an interesting drasha. Okay, as long as we're connecting it for the vessel purpose, and that we only get from the idea of water. So let's say the water for the sota also has to be mayim chayim, and it can't be like well water or whatever. Or so the says. Make your water, right, which we're assuming is collected water and not from a spring. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Shmel Hachinami, you know what? No problem. This is Rabbi Shmel. He actually says that the cure water is from, a, is from an underground spring. Make your Rabbi Shmel Omer Main Mayan Hain. It's tapping into an underground spring. No, it could be from other collected waters. It doesn't have to be tapping into an underground spring. Okay, Eglamis, now, the Gemara says like this Eglamis, one minute I can challenge learning out a new vessel from Mitzorah to a new vessel for the Sota. Ma'ala Mitzorah, Shekintone, Eitzeres, Ve'ezov, Shekintolat. It has all these other demands on the whole, you know, for the whole ritual. So maybe it can have an additional demand that the vessel has to be new. Maybe here it shouldn't. Or if you want to also throw in the idea we're supposed to make everything very lowly here, so maybe yeah, it should exactly be new. Like, you know, I know. You do that whole homilet, I understand. You new vessel, take an old one here. I understand. But here it's a more formalist Russia, not a, a more formalist type of legal approach. So even before getting to the reasons behind it. It's just if there are more demands there, we can understand a greater demand about the vessel. Here, we don't see those de- demands. We shouldn't assume the same degree of, the same criteria. What? Even though they're asterisks of lowliness, they're also they're going to put Hashem's name into it. So maybe in that sense, it should be... Honest. Oh, that's maybe for respect for God's name. That's interesting. Okay, so that's what the Gemara says. Amar Abba You know, here it says that you put it Bikhikharis, and doesn't say in a Klikharis. Question about what else it should have said. But anyway, that somehow refers to like the Klikaris, like the Klikaris that you know about. Klisha Marti Lechakvar, a vessel that's referenced elsewhere, and therefore that is uh, referenced, you know, early in the Torah by the Mitzvah, which we know is a new one. Again, it's a little unclear, like what else should the Torah have said? So Rashi says, like he could have said, what could have said? It could have, it could have said, Midiloksi Vilaklach Klikaris Vinasan Bo. It could have said Vinasan Bo, and it says Vinasan Vikliheres, so somehow it means just like the other Klikaris. I don't know. I'm a rubber. Loach, anyway, that's Rabbi Ishmael. It has to be a new vessel. I'm a rubber. Now, the Gemara actually reads this next line going, even according to the Chachamim. Lo Shanu, when did we say for the Chachamim it doesn't have to be new? If it hasn't like blackened, it could be a used pottery vessel, but it can't have been so old that it's, that the, that the, you know, appearance is blackened. Um, once it's blackened, psulin, it's invalid. My time, to me, the Mayim, at least, forget that we learn it out from Mitzorah. It doesn't have to be like Mayim Chaim, like Mitzorah, but from with it, but it is, you put the 
water into the vessel. So at least the vessel, at least we connected to the dimension of water in the parsha of of Sot itself. It has to be somewhat like water. What does that mean? Somewhat like water? Right? This vial, is not, they're not bringing it from home, uh, husband and wife. Uh, yeah, but it's not. But it's, but it's but maybe it's owned by the no, person. I, it's not a klisharis. I don't think so. It's not there. because it's not able to be a klisharis if it's klisharis. What? Or that's a machlokas. Anyway, uh, I, oh no, I think everybody agrees klisharis can't be klisharis. Yeah, presumably. Anyway, right, for this purpose, right? right? Okay. Um, if it's blackened, it's invalid. Because at least it has to be like the water, and therefore it has to be not nishtane. Now, Tosas actually points out um, that you know there's another Gemara actually by Avodazara that says because the Gemara has a question about the where we know you can't have like bishul akum from things cooked by non-Jews. And one basis that the Gemara says is because Moshe says right when they're passing through you know the other nations so it says if you want food it has to be like water it can't have been processed it, can't, it has to be raw okay it can't have been so um, so uh, so then the Gemara challenges it because it doesn't exactly fit all the parameters of Tishalakim it's not like anything cooked is not good anyway so if you look at Rosh at Tosos Tosos says like this halfway down line starting with their Tema Tema Larebi Maishna Dahacham um um, it doesn't make that Russian. Now, maybe it fits here and it doesn't fit there. But anyway, Tosa says, Fine. This whole idea that it can't have been, like, you know, changed the vessel, and even it doesn't have to be old, it can't be blackened, it can't have been transformed. It's all rabbinic. Bottom line is, right, all the Torah says is klicheres. Like, it'd be funny that we start coming up with this idea. It has to be, like, a klicheres, but it can't have somehow trans, you know, be very different than the way it was originally made. But anyway, so Tosu says it's not smart. Tosu is also implying that Bishalakim was also the Rabbana. Uh, well, the Bishalakim is the Rabbana, right. but that's not his point. Right. His point is that the drush is not a great drush. Okay, now the question says like this. Like, have colored this either? Like, let's say you wanted to paint it. You can't do that either? Yeah, I know. So that's the question. Like, you know, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, doesn't, it sounds like it's supposed to be natural, right? No, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it means... No, no, Michael's asking a different question. He doesn't mean to get blackened from use. But Michael's asking a different question. How much do we have to say it has to be in its original condition? Okay? Anyway, so the message goes like this. By Rava. Now, let's say you had the vessel you were going to use, and they got, it got blackened, and then you refired it. So what's the halacha? once it was in a status of being fit to be used for the service and became pushed away it cannot be reused which is funny because you know if you made a totally brand new vessel that would be fine but this isn't a brand new vessel this is a vessel that, vessel that might have on it the stigma of being rejected so if you were a brand new vessel that's fine but a rejected one that now has been somehow fixed it still has that stigma of being rejected that's a, con- a, con- a concept of dihui and once something has been rejected it can never be reused for mixed purposes oh Dilma or do we say no even the hudder hudder no now it's back to be usable now what does that mean does it mean that we don't hold of a principle of dihui or does it mean that it was never really nidcheh because it was really seen as like a like a like a, a tangential reason it wasn't usable it wasn't sort of central to its identity maybe or was something that was able to be like changed Right, it was like a mumo there, it was everything that was able to be changed, or you could say a different thing. Maybe it's Panim Chadashos Paulakan. You're refiring it, maybe it's like a completely new vessel. Okay, so what do we say? 
So Tashma coming here. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, eight eras the Ezovushnito Laat. You have the various things that you're going to use for the whole thing of the Mitzora, right? The eras and the, or the uh, Paraduma, actually. Okay? You have the, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, Hyssop and the, uh, and the, uh, the cedar and the, uh, and the red string. Um, that you basically used it to, uh, hold, like, you know, to be a string to hold your, uh, bag, uh, you know, to carry your bag on your back. Um, it's invalid. So now Rashi says, why isn't it invalid? Because you're using it for malacha, and you're not supposed to, you know, do malacha. So Rashi says, it sounds like malacha doesn't, well, well let's take a look. So going to assume it's invalid because you changed them. You bent them. They're not in their pristine state. Okay, well, let's first read the mind, then I'll talk about the malacha. So, why is that invalid? Even if you bent it, you can straighten it out. Mm-hmm. So you see that even though you've straightened it out, it remains invalid. So the Gemara says, no, husband, the iklaf there could really be not just, you know, really like bent in a way that it can't be re-straightened. So therefore, it can't be fixed. That's why it remains invalid. But this can, that can be fixed. Maybe it becomes, it can become valid once again. So Rashi, by the way, is bothered. Like, why is the Gemara focusing on the fact that it's bent? Shouldn't it be a problem that you do malach? And we normally assume that things are so associated, right, with the, like, paradumar things that you can't do malacha with. So if you take a look at, um, oh, actually, no, I think, the question is, is this talking about paradumar, is this talking about yeah, yeah. mitzora? I think it's talking about mitzora, yeah, yeah. Uh, to be right, I think Tosos refers to the mitzora case. So if you take a look at Tosos, Tosos says like this, Okay, that the malacha isn't a problem. The kashul rabbi, this is difficult. The same problem. How is the gemara focusing on whether it's bent or not bent? It actually is a problem that you used it for the strap for your knapsack. Malacha, it gets all messed up. And that's no, because there's a concept of Nasus Ben Anyway, so Tosus doesn't know the answer. How does it come to Gemara is sort of ignoring um, the Malacha issue? But also, the fact that Tosus is quoting the Nagarim makes it clear that we're talking in the context of the Eitzers and the and the Zav for, the, for the Mitzorah. So somehow this is the question about if it somehow became somehow disbent or disfigured, it's a physical problem that can be fixed. Now, how does this fit into general Dichoy discussions? Like, isn't there a general discussion about Dichoy? So, again, maybe part is because this is not something that's been sanctified. It's something that's going to be used, similar to the Mitzvah issue, in some type of a ritual, a ritual in the Beit Mikdash, but it's not a Korban, right? So therefore, I mean, in the Mitzvah, you even have, you know, you even have it, like, outside of the Beit Mikdash. So what do you do about these things? Things that are somehow ritual and somewhat mikdash connected, etc., but not korbanot. To what idea do you have an idea of dichoy? Like there's a whole discussion in the Gemara. Do you have an idea of nidcha by objects of a mitzvah? Like a something, mitzvah. something was like a hadas that had berries, and then you pick the berries from it. Like, do you have an idea of dichoy? The classic dichoy is by a korban. What about a mitzvah object? What about a mikdash ritual object that's not a korban? Mm. So that seems to be like one possible way of understanding. Or as I said, another possible way of understanding is. Maybe something that by its very nature is a transitory problem fundamentally does not create dihoi. 
Okay, and Tosos so raises... Answer our question. No, so we leave it as a question. But Tosos raises this, broadens this. So look at Tosos. Tosos says, Right, that's the normal phrase. It was fit, it was nidche, it became fit again. First of all, it's a general question. Let's say you had rent or, or soiled garments of big that's invalid. If you clean them, put them into the cleaners, Actually, you can actually send them to the laundry. Okay, now of course you can make distinctions, right? There, dirt is maybe something that is more, you know, is seen, like here maybe if you have to put it into the fire to get out the black, maybe that's considered more of a permanent type of a thing than just getting out the soil, which is seen as an extraneous thing that's mm-hmm. cleaving onto it. But anyway, again, it's interesting, and you know, Bikte Guhuna are sanctified, right? This, this isn't sanctified. So it's again interesting in this whole world of Nidche, it starts with a Korban, right? But what do you? How do you translate to things that are maybe a, a mitzvah, not a korban, mikdash ritual, but not sanctified? Big tikkun, which are sanctified, but the problem is less permanent, right? All these different permutations of this concept of nidche. Yes. Interesting symbolic. I'm thinking that too. In this, in this section of Sota, this whole question of what can be redeemed. Ah, that's a nice idea. Oh, you know what she's doing? Right, right, right. And we talk about you know it's so funny because people like talking about like, you know, trial by ordeal, mm-hmm. right? So the, what's the ordeal? Is it a water ordeal or a fire ordeal? Right here you have a fire that basically is like a cleansing and a restoring type of a process. It's a nice idea. Okay, let's finish to the bottom of the daf. Um, goes into Eichon makes a right turn my time because we say whenever you turn in the base of Mikdash you always turn to the right because the right is seen as the stronger direction is the more symbolically meaningful direction um, and right um, and uh, by the way you know that's when well, like you take out the Sefer Torah and you like you make the rotations around yeah. you know it also sort of figures out like if you were facing the Bima and you'd be moving to your right right so then you're moving in a counter clockwise direction, right? So that's why you're sort of always sort of, you know, moving by the Sefer Torah, you're sort of going in a counterclockwise direction. Um, okay. So, also when the call goes around the Chosun. Malkin, it's all the same. Malkin Hayasham, Amas, or is an Amma by Nama, Tanur Banan. Umina Farshir Yeb Karkaha Mishkan, from the dirt to dust that's on the ground of the Mishkan. Yochol Yitakemi Bachutz Yachnis. Maybe you can just uh, take dirt from outside. It doesn't, you know, yeah, and put it there. Tamadamar or the karkamishka. No, it has to be on the ground. You can't just bring dirt from the outside. Maybe if it has to be from the dirt, maybe it really needs to be from the natural ground that's underneath the mishkan. And you have to take a shovel. No, it just happens to be on the ground of the Mishkan. Right? It doesn't say, That happens to be. So you just lay some dirt on the karka from beforehand. 
If there's dirt that's there that can be collected, use the dirt that's there. If there's not dirt that's there that's collected, the ground is hard, it's not loose or whatever. I don't know if it would be also to dig with a shovel, but who wants to be bringing a shovel into the base of Mikdash? So pre-lay some dirt there so that it'll be able to be found. When it'll be a sure, yeah, it happens to be there. Okay. And we need something, but we're not... Like, it needs to be in like that. It needs on the Karkah right Presumably it can't be on the tile. It has to... Yeah, that's an interesting that thing. Right? What, that is an interesting thing. What is defined as Karkah Mishkan? You might say that by the time you get to the base of Mikdash, the Karkah is no longer the dirt. The Karkah is the actual tile floor and just put the dirt on top of the tile. So it is interesting that we're assuming no, that you have to actually put the dirt on the dirt underneath the tile, on the ground underneath the tile. Okay, Tanya Edoch, we turn to another Brita. Um... Yeah. Okay, so actually, this bright actually says it sort of stops before Bikarka Hamishkan. Any dirt. You don't even have to lay it on the ground. Just take dirt from the outside. That's a pretty creative read of the puzzle. Take from any dirt that's there. You can even bring dirt from outside. So then what do you do with the word Bikarka Hamishkan? So that we say, that means something else. Bikarka Hamishkan. Again, it's funny. What's the reboy? Well, maybe because it didn't have to say Mishkan at all. Could it just said Minafar? Why did it add Mishkan? So it's funny, funny. Mishkan, you would think, is a limiting word. You know, but, uh, but, but maybe it's a no, like Mishkan is any place where there's some idea of a Mishkan. So even if it's a Nov and Givon, and obviously Beit Olamim, it's a Mishkan, it's a Mikdash. Okay, so um, so you might have thought on the one hand, maybe on the one hand, it's only is when it's in its transitory state, only a mishkan, not a mikdash. Or you might have thought only when it's something that is like you know really like represents similar to the mishkan, nov and givon. Rashi is actually very bothered by the fact that it says nov and givon here because nov and givon did not have a full status of a mishkan. Why not? If you look at Rashi in the bottom of Tetvav Amud Beth, Rashi says the following: four lines from the bottom. The low garis l'rabas shilo no v'givon. Why not? Ubeit alamim. The shilo, first of all, shilo mishkanu. You don't have to be mar shilo. Shilo was exactly the mishkan, right? Meaning shilo was the exact mishkan from the from you know from that they had in the wilderness relocated to Shiloh. Obviously that's the same. There no Nov and Givon are different in one direction, going down, and Mikdash is different in another direction going up. Right? Mikdash is permanent. It's different than the Mishkan. Nov and Givon are different in the following way. Um Nov Givon Sotas. Movin Givon actually you wouldn't do the Sota ritual there. Why not? That even though there, it was basically just like a central bama, okay? There was it was not forbidden to worship on your private bama at that time. It was not the only central, the, the, the single place of worship. So it did not have that same power of the Mishkan. Okay? And even the Aaron wasn't there. And therefore, Rashi says, and you would not do in Novin Givon, you would not do private types of rituals. Okay? You would only do communal rituals. So the Aaron was right there, it wasn't in the, uh, right, the Pelishim took it, right? Whatever, but it wasn't state, it wasn't sent, it wasn't centered there. Okay? So anyway, so Toso says, if you look at Toso's top of Ketayim and Aleph, Rashi Goris Right, because Shilo And Tozu says the Tema He completely corrupted the Girsa. He just you know erased it because of this question. 
So maybe there is an opinion that you could do a, kor- a yachid type of a ritual in Korban in Novin Givon. So you could do Sota in Novin Givon as well. Okay? So it's an interesting question of would they have done it in Novin Givon? Could you do these private types of rituals there? But you also need a Pasuk to include even a more permanent, a Beit HaMikdash. You know, maybe it was only something in a transitory state. Maybe when things are a little bit more permanent. It's funny to keep on doing these types of, you know, I don't know, testing rituals or whatever. Anyway, so you need a pasuk. But not to tell you that the dirt had to be on the floor. Just to tell you it works in other forms of the Mishkan as well. Let's just read the last line. You don't need to include Beit Olamim. And this also reinforces Rashi that the emphasis is on Beit HaMikdash. When it comes to the issue of that being Tamei, you're not allowed to be in the Mishkan and we learn from the Pasuk you also can't go into the Beit HaMikdash when you're Tamei. So the Tumah with the more weighty Tumah of adultery, how much more so should that be equally relevant in the Beit HaMikdash? I'll go back to that in a minute but let's just finish the thought. If Karka Mishkan doesn't have to include Beit HaMikdash, what does it include? So what we said before that you can't take out of a basket you have to put it on the floor. So here there's a debate. Does the dirt have to, the dirt doesn't have to be natural to there, but does it have to be pre-laid on the floor or not? One opinion is no, sort of stops the Pasuk before you get to Karka HaMishkan. And the other read is much more reasonable. No, yeah, we just have to get the dirt from the floor. And neither says it has to be you have to dig. Everybody says you can pre at least you can pre-lay it, but one opinion says you don't even have to pre-lay it. Now I do want to just end by saying this Kalva Homer is very strange. Like, okay, I get that if you say that if you can't do Tumakala, you know, we already know you can't go to the base of Mikdash, which is, if you can't bring a Tomei person can't go to the Mishkan, he can't go to the base of Mikdash. So certainly a more weighty Tomei person can't go into the base of Mikdash. Mm-hmm. That I get. Okay? But we're not saying that in multiple directions. Number one, a, just, okay, we, we're using the idea of Tuma by Yeshasis. I mean, the Pasuk says, like, you know, Venit um, Be'ah, right? And she became, you know, and she slept with the man and she became Tamei. But that never translates into entering into the base of Mikdash. There's never a halacha that a woman who is known to have committed adultery is ushered to enter into the base of Mikdash. That concept of Tuma is a very distinct concept. It's a sin, moral concept of Tuma that is very distinct from the halachas of entering into the base of Mikdash. So saying, if a normal Tomate person can't go in, a weighty tumah, they should teach, I assume it's weighty because it's more moral and sin-related, but nevertheless, it doesn't mean that they can't enter the base of Mikdash. And number two is, we're not talking about entering the base of Mikdash. We're talking about a weighty tomb of Eshazish should certainly be able to be processed in the Sota ritual in the base of Mikdash. What's the Kavachomer? If normal tomb is kept out of the base of Mikdash, then a weighty tomb of Eshazish should certainly be able to undergo the Sota ritual. Like what? It's a very strange Kavachomer. But it is fascinating the comparison of these two Tumas which really come from very different spheres and making some type of, you know, analogy between them. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm.